0: Welcome to the Psych Central Show, where each episode presents an in-depth look at issues from the field of psychology and mental health, with host Gabe Howard and co-host Vincent M. Wales.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Psych Central Show podcast. My name is Gabe Howard, and with me as always is Vincent M. Wales. And Vince, you brought along a friend today. I did. Would you like to introduce her?
2: I will, sure. Dr. Luana Coleman Cook is a child psychologist who also lives here in Sacramento, where I am. And we're here today to discuss mental health in children and adolescents. Welcome, Luana.
3: Hi, thanks. Happy to be here.
1: We are glad to have you. We have a lot of parents who listen to the show, and I'm as any parent would, they have a lot of questions about their children. The first one being, how do they get them to behave? But that's probably too (laughs) broad of a question to start with. (laughs)
3: Yeah, I think so. It's a good question, though.
1: I often
2: wonder what questions the children ask you about their parents.
3: That would i would actually need
1: my parents to stop picking on me?
3: <laughs> hmm. I, I'm
1: 41 tough. years old, and I would like the answer to that question. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Let's start with this. Why don't you tell us a
2: little bit about you, what your background is and and the groups that you treat?
3: Yeah. So I am a licensed psychologist. I did my training in Berkeley and have been working with kids and families for almost 15 years now. I have worked with the whole span of um, people, I guess. You know, I've had clients who are just itty bitty and then working with parents, but then also now work with adults as well. But I will say the bulk of my experience and probably one of my biggest passion is working with kids and teenagers and families, really, because I think especially when you're a kid or a teenager, you're in a system of your family. And so it's so helpful to work with the family unit and not just the kid or teen.
1: The question that I think a lot of people want to know, and by a lot of people, I mostly mean me, <laughs> what would bring a family to therapy? And, and I only ask because there, there is still some, there's a lot of myths surrounding therapy that only dysfunctional families go to therapy or kids who are bad or parents who are have done something wrong. But kind of what are just the common things that bring children and families into your office?
3: I worked for a large HMO for quite a bit. And, um, a range of reasons why people would come in for therapy, and that was so broad. I mean, anything, having a hard time in school, difficulties making friends, um, communication problems, seeming a little sad, worrying about things, very, very typical things you would expect for any human to be experiencing. Um, often bring families into therapy. You know, of course you see other more severe things like a trauma or a a death, um, things like that. But for the most part, anything you could think of would bring someone into therapy. And in private practice at this point, a lot more I see kids who are feeling really stressed out about school that's probably my biggest thing at this point. And we've had
1: people on the we've had teenagers on the show that talk about how different school is from our generation Vin, and I didn't think we were particularly all that old but apparently there's a lot of there's a lot more pressure on children today. So w- would you say that that there's so much pressure that they need to go to therapy is one driving the other? Are we too hard on children, I think, is really the, the question that I'm asking. Are, are we expecting too much of teenagers that we're, were causing mental health issues, or is it just a coincidence?
3: I tend to think of things in a contextual frame, and so I would definitely say that our society is moving towards a lot of this, do things faster, quicker. Our teenagers are super functional. I mean, they're doing sports, playing instruments, they're on all sorts of extracurricular committees and trying to do the academic piece as well. And I think it's exhausting. That's that's a lot of what I hear from my teenagers. And that type of um overfunctioning is just feeling exhausted, not feeling like they can let go of anything. I don't think parents necessarily push it, but um I do think as a culture, you know, we just keep pushing kids more and more and more. And so I do think it is something that's happening in a society as a whole.
2: Yeah, I think so too. And as as Gabe just pointed out a little bit ago, it is a lot different today than than when I was the kid.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And I'm only speaking, of course, for, for my family, but I know that it pertained to a lot of my friends as well. You know, we picked one or at most two different extracurricular activities. But now mm-hmm. I have I have friends who have who have teenagers and and younger and they are involved in multiple sports, other extracurricular things, and it's it's just kind of insane. Even just looking at the sports alone, I know that the kids are playing multiple games. The most we ever did was like a doubleheader. But I have one friend whose whose son played five games in one day.
3: Oh my gosh.
2: And I just stared at her like you're joking, right? Because that's that's not all right. Whose idea was that? not the kids, I'm sure. What is it about parents today that that think this is how you should go?
3: You know, I want to say I don't know that it's only the parents that think it's the way it should go. I think parents are just kind of following what all other families are doing, because I really believe all parents, and I am a parent, you know, we're trying the best we can. Um, But I do think there is this kind of press to be special, to be really, really good at something. And so what will happen is we can overload kids to try to help them build their, their resume, I guess, in terms of what they can do. Build character? <laughs> well, <laughs> I wish it was only the character piece of it. I do think we sometimes get focused on what the future is going to hold for them. And so we're trying, we're, I guess you're right, we're probably trying to help them build the self-identity and have lots of good options of things they can do. But I think what happens is there's just, a you know, we're putting so much on the plate that we can't quite teach them the skill that I think is super important, which is how do you slow down? How do you make choices from your values and what you really like? How can we invigorate the parts of us that we care the most about instead of investing in a lot of different activities with the hopes that we look good for colleges?
1: Yeah, and probably most importantly, like how to set good boundaries. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I've had the, the hardest time in my adult life is to say no, because I'm always afraid that I'll say no to that million dollar opportunity. So I say yes to everything, but then I end up doing many things poorly rather than a few things very, very well. And you get burnout out, too. I've seen how much stress you've been under, and I can't imagine what it's like. Well, yeah, yeah. I, I, have, the, I have the advantage of, of being older and not under anybody's, uh, you know, thumb. My, my my parents' expectations are irrelevant. But that leads me to my next question. So let's say that you do find this overwhelmed family. You know, the, the parents expect a lot of the children. The, the, chair, the children expect a lot of the parents. That Our society, like you said, is go, 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 achieve, achieve, achieve. How do you slow Mm -hmm. everybody down? Uh, Because I imagine that you Mm -hmm. probably just can't say, hey, slow down, you'll be okay. If it was that easy, we could solve this problem with like a Facebook ad.
3: Right, 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 right. Uh, With a nice little meme of some sort. Right, right. No doubt doubt with a cat.
1: Always a cat.
3: Yeah, right, right. (laughs) So if you're coming in to see me, chances are something's not working. And so it's helpful to kind of get a sense of where everybody thinks things are at this point. You know, what are the concerns and why are you coming in? And usually at the point someone is coming to therapy, they're hopefully a little more open to the fact that maybe things aren't going great. I will tell you a common thing parents say to me, though, is, hey, we try to cut things out and they won't let let us cut things out. But it's hard because parents often have one idea of what to cut out and teens often have something really different they want to cut out. And so um, a lot of times it's kind of doing some introspection around why, why do you think this is important? What are you really hoping for for your kid? And understanding the value and the block to expressing the value. Does that make sense?
1: It does. Yeah. We had this in our generation too. I, I mean, my, my father instilled, you know, you're a man, get a job. So I had my first job at 11 because that was his value. So we're just really seeing the same thing play out in a different way. you know. Be involved in seven extracurricular activities so you get involved in a good college or with a good group of people or have more opportunities. That's clearly the parent's values as well. Please correct me if I'm wrong, but you're saying this boils down to interpreting values for your children by way of doing stuff.
3: It's more like this to me. So like when you say your dad had the value of, um, what did you say his value was?
1: His value was men work. Men
3: work. Okay, so what I would say is probably there is a fear or a desire that you're gonna be okay in the world. And the way he saw that that you would be okay in the world is saying, get a job. This is, you'll be able to provide for someone, you'll be able to provide for yourself. As long as you have money, you're gonna be okay. And so that was the way he communicated that. But the reality is the fear and the hope he has for you is you're gonna be okay in the world. And this is the tool I can give you to help you be okay. And so I think that happens in so many different iterations with parents around, I want you to be okay in the future, and so we need to have this, this, and this in place for you. But sometimes it's at the expense of actually things feeling okay for the person. You know, we're so caught up in the future that sometimes we aren't able to focus on, okay, but actually what is good for you right now? What do you actually need in this moment?
2: You know, it just occurred to me when Gabe was talking about his dad's values, back in my generation boy, I hate saying things like that. (laughs) (laughs) Back when I I was a kid, having a family with two working parents was not anywhere near as common as it is today. Mm -hmm. So today, not only do you have the dads who have their set of values, but you've got the moms doing the same thing Mm -hmm. because most likely they've got a career as well and they're achieving. So it's doubled in that regard.
1: Yeah. I would have had to get a job at six, five and a half. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right, right. But, but right, right. You're absolutely right, Vin. It, it, is, it is the double drive. Do you think that this, and I know, you know, we're, we're asking you to figure out societal issues, et cetera, but I just know that there is a lot of things that make people drive. And I, like Vin says, I hate to say that things were simpler back then, but it seems simpler. You know, my sister learned how to cook and I had to get a job when I was young and everybody was happy and all of our little values and needs were met. Uh, now, mm-hmm. like you said, we have to get into the top college. We have to get we have to get into the top preschool and on and on and right. on. And I, I think that this is putting kids back on their heels. But I think what you're trying to do is help families achieve their values without overwhelming their children. Because if the focus is on the value and not how many extracurricular activities you're on, it's probably less of a burden.
3: Yes, yeah, exactly.
1: How do you do that?
3: <laughs> well, you know, I think honestly, something that is so important, but I don't think got at least when I was a kid, did not get emphasized and I, I still think doesn't get super acknowledged is we as parents just kind of go about parenting by instinct and reactivity and, okay, I'm going to make a decision here because it just makes sense in this moment. or um, And so I think we don't do this thing where we go internally and start to think about, wait, why am I making this choice? Where is this coming from? Why is it really upsetting to me when my teen rolls their eye at me? Is it because that was a sign of disrespect in my family and I value respect and I'm so afraid my teenager is going to go out and be a disrespectful jerk to other people out in the world? And so if we were able to slow our thought process down, our feelings, you know, what's happening for us, I think we would have a much better shot of checking in about why am I making the choice I'm making right now, instead of just making the choice. And then what we do is we can get reactive with our choice. And then our kid responds to reactivity instead of what we're really trying to convey to them.
1: Does this approach work? I mean, have you found it to be successful in your practice?
3: Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you know, the reality is, everybody has ultimately the same goal, you know, everybody wants to do, you know, I mean, the kids want to feel good in the world, they want to feel like happy and joyful, and the parents want the same thing. That message gets messed up in our delivery so much of the time, that I think we can lose our way. And so when you kind of clear out the extra noise and help people kind of distill what's happening for them, kids and teens are incredibly insightful and they really are connected to that desire to be loved by their attachment figures. And so it's, it's pretty amazing what can
0: happen, I think, when you do are able to do that.
3: Obviously, there's not every single time, but yeah, I find it to be really helpful.
0: This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp.com.
2: As, as I'm sure you're aware, therapy doesn't always work for some people. And I know there are plenty of people out there too, who have had one negative experience with therapy and they say therapy is crap. It doesn't work. What do you say to people like that?
3: So, you know, they've done so much cool research around what's effective and what's helpful in therapy. And the number one thing that is coming up again and again is having a good therapeutic relationship. And so Honestly, there are people who therapy may not work for them, and that's okay. You don't have to use therapy. You can find other things that make you feel good, like maybe exercising or meditating or different outlets. But especially for kids and teens, I would recommend going out and finding another therapist, meeting more than one person to see, does this person feel safe? Are they listening to me? Do I feel seen? Making sure it's a good fit. Um, because not every single therapist is going to be good for every single person, right? It makes sense that you might have a bad experience, but that that is not all of therapy.
2: Yeah, it's it's like it's like dating. Yeah. Just trying to find a therapist. But don't
1: stay. date your therapist. Yeah.
2: Very but therapist. Yeah, that's very. Don't
1: date your Probably. Probably <laughs> yeah. not a good idea.
3: But you no, right. Definitely we, don't date your therapist.
1: <laughs> we. We do tend to live in a society where it's like one and done. I tried it one time and I didn't like it. So I'm assuming that all of it is the same. So if you don't like one pizza, uh, you don't like any pizza. And that's, of course, ridiculous. Right. 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 There's other pizza, Vin. That's what I'm trying to tell you. There's <laughs> other pizza. I,
2: I, I understand.
1: I, I know. Anchovies? No. Never again. No, right? Once One and done was, was accurate on that. It certainly is true. Vin and I obviously work as mental health advocates, and we get a lot of people that say, well, I tried one medicine and it didn't work, therefore all meds are bad. I saw one psychiatrist and they were a quack, so they're all quacks." And it's, you know, listen, we, we don't... You can go to a restaurant, and have a bad experience, and then try other restaurants and recognize that mm-hmm. there's multiple types of restaurants to try. There's, you know, there's American, there's Mexican, there's Chinese, there's right. buffet. And, and we acknowledge that certain people like certain types of restaurants. My mother, for example, does not like high-end steakhouses. She thinks they're too expensive. Right. Uh, I do not right. like low-end fast food because I'm 40 and it hurts my tummy. But there's a range right. in between. You're saying that therapy works much like that.
3: Absolutely. Yeah, there's so many different types of therapy modalities and types of therapists that you really got to find a good fit and I think that goes such a long way in terms of treatment outcomes and you know, overall satisfaction.
2: One of the things that we see a lot in in our society is depression and you know, Gabe and I have discussed depression on our show before and we know it's very widespread amongst teenagers. One of the things that I want to convey is how depression looks differently in young people than it does in older people. Can you speak to that?
3: So, you know, I think depression and and anxiety can look incredibly different in childhood and adolescence. In childhood, I think so often I will have a parent or even teacher talk to me about someone as being defiant or difficult. And sometimes there really is a behavioral problem, but so many times there's something else going on for those kids where they're feeling anxious. Anxiety really looks like irritation, I think, especially when you're younger um, or really sad or discouraged. That can look like irritation or frustration um, or an acting out of some sort. So, you know, it's, common for somebody to talk to me about their teenager as being incredibly moody and defiant and difficult. And on the outside, that is how it might look. But then once you start to talk to these kids, there's often things like a really low self-esteem, feeling really down, low motivation, feeling undervalued. I think it looks really different than adults who also have those underlying feelings, but doesn't necessarily come with that difficulty in being able to express, hey, I'm feeling really sad right now. You know, that's a skill that we develop later on, or, you know, that most kids don't have yet.
1: One of the things that I try to explain to teachers, parents, any any caregiver when they talk to me about their child acting out, and that it might be part of a mental health issue, whether it's anxiety or depression, is what sometimes the parents hear is that we're saying, "Oh, your kid is sick, so therefore ignore the symptoms and they can do whatever they right. want." And I, I hate that that's what they hear because what what I am actually saying, what the mental health community is actually saying, is punishing your child won't work but getting them treatment or help or therapy will work so we're not asking you to do nothing we're asking you to do what works and gets you the outcome that ultimately you want and it's such a shame that, that I think that some parents hear well you're just telling me my kid gets to act like a jerk and it's okay right can you talk on that a little bit because I know that's a common thing that overwhelmed parents think
3: Honestly, I think sometimes that reaction is based in fear for parents. You know, I think parents and even teachers get really concerned that if I let this kid act this way, they're going to be kind of these monsters or they're not like we were just talking about. They're not going to be able to function in adulthood. And the reality is, is we're not saying do nothing because do nothing is really bad. If your kid is giving you. Visible signs that they're in distress by acting out or uh, withdrawing in their room or seeming different, ignoring that is probably the worst thing you can do. But when we get kids help or connect them to resources and help them understand what's happening, then they have a chance to move through this period in a, a healthy way that actually will carry on into adulthood. So if you have a teenager who is for instance, giving really snappy responses to their parents or refusing to do homework or locked up in the room all day. And if we were to just ignore that and say, hey, that's typical teenage behavior, we might have a teen who might develop a really scary mental illness, you know, that could get into a more serious type of depression. If we go and meet them with punishment, We're going to give them the message that, you know, not only are you depressed, but now you're going to get punished for your depression, right? And we don't want to make them feel worse. So if we take them into some type of mental health professional, they can help make sense of what's happening in this world where I honestly don't think a lot of kids and teens understand what's going on internally. And so what happens, I think, in therapy is, you know, we help them make sense oh, you've been feeling like not being around people for a while. You haven't been feeling like doing what you normally would want to do. Gosh, that sounds so hard, right? We can just sit with them. We can validate, empathize, bring compassion to it. And then we can help them move on in a way that I think can be really hard for parents because of that fear factor, because of the emotional, you know, you have a different involvement of a parent than you do as a therapist.
2: I think another point there is that, because usually when it comes to this point, you know, parents are frustrated. They are feeling overwhelmed by their their children's behavior. So they are not particularly in a position where they can probe and ask these kinds of questions that maybe otherwise they would.
3: Mm-hmm. We know that fear blocks empathy. And so if a parent is feeling particularly overwhelmed, it definitely is going to be hard for them to slow down and say, hey, tell me how you're doing because there's so much lighting up in the parent's brain that makes it difficult for them to be receptive. And so that is, mm-hmm. there is a lot of good research to show that we can't be empathic when we're feeling particularly overwhelmed. And so it, you know, it's a plug for parents. It's oftentimes for me, I support the parents in my family therapy, but I do think getting your own support is helpful during this period because it, it's really painful. I think as a parent,
2: we're getting close to the end of the show and I wanted to ask you, what message you would have for parents specifically with regard to watching out for the kind of behaviors that could indicate something more than just kids being kids
3: the tricky thing about depression and teenage behavior is it looks pretty similar at points there can be increased isolation increased moodiness decreased wanting to do things they typically want to do but you know the reality is is that in adolescence we want to see more social engagement if your teenager is in their room hours upon hours not ever coming out you know that's concerning if you see that their behaviors are drastically shifting where they used to enjoy going out and hanging out with friends or playing sports or even being around the family that's something to know you know any shift big shift in behavior i think is a good thing to keep an eye on I also think parents often have some kind of intuition, something doesn't feel right, and because we don't want to admit that something's wrong, we'll override that. And I, and I would just want to encourage parents, when you feel that, check it out with your kid. You'd be surprised how much they want to talk about it and would be open to it. And if you still feel like it, and they're not, they're still saying, no, I'm totally fine." ask again, you know, tell them about the things you're worried about. Let them know, this is why I'm asking you. I'm worried about you. Um, and I think when we have that base of connection, we can really have fruitful conversations. And I think our teams will be honest with us.
1: Thank you so very much. The, the final question that I really have is, as you know, there, there's so much pressure on children, but there's also pressure on parents to be perfect parents they just they yeah. can't fail in in any area and we've defined failure so ridiculous you know if you're if your kid does something in a millisecond it means that you know where was his mother what was the father doing and so i think right. parents really absorb these messages because as you said it's their value that they want to be good parents what would you say to parents who just feel that they are failing at parenting when in actuality they're great parents. It's just real life is, is messy.
3: So one thing I didn't mention that I do is I'm a a mindful self-compassion teacher. So talking about failure and how you relate to yourself in the face of failure is something that I'm very passionate about. And so what I would say to parents is everybody makes mistakes. We live in this society where we constantly are trying to hide the fact that we all make mistakes. And I think it's, You know, it's really sad because what happens is, as a parent, you make a mistake, you feel shame about it, you maybe don't talk about it with anybody, and then you just feel more and more alone. And so I think if, as parents, we could start creating these communities, we're supposed to raise children in communities, and we've really lost that. But if we can raise parents in real communities where we can talk with our friends and loved ones about, I feel so lost, or I feel so scared, or, you know, for instance, for me personally, my kids are still young. You know, my youngest kid just had this giant fit in public, and I felt so horrible in the, that moment. You know, I wish I would have handled it differently. Then, w- when we acknowledge that, you know, we can then connect to others because everybody knows what it's like to fail sometimes. You know, and so it's not a matter of if we're going to make a mistake; it's when we make the mistake. If we can relate to that with kindness and understanding and openness then we can take an honest look at ourselves and say hey this is or isn't working what would I like to do to change that and move forward accordingly instead if we only beat up on ourselves then we get stuck in shame and shame is not activating it freezes us and you know so I think talking about it looking at it and relating to yourself kindly and recognizing everyone does it I think has been an incredible gift to myself, and I think for the families I work with too. Then it gets modeled for your kids as well, right? They're getting the model of how you relate to yourself when you make a mistake, which is, I think, an invaluable gift.
2: Yes, very true. Yes, it is. Thank you so much for all of this wonderful information and for for being a guest on our show. It's been fantastic.
3: Thank you. This has been great. I'm so glad you guys are out there. This is such a great resource for people.
1: Oh, thank you so much. And thank you for being on the show. And to everyone else, thank you for tuning in. And remember, you can get one week of free, convenient, affordable, private, online counseling anytime, anywhere, by visiting betterhelp.com slash psychcentral. We'll see everyone next week.
0: Thank you for listening to the Psych Central Show. Please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you found this podcast. We encourage you to share our show on social media and with friends and family. Previous episodes can be found at psychcentral.com slash show. Psychcentral.com is the internet's oldest and largest independent mental health website. Psychcentral is overseen by Dr. John Grohol, a mental health expert and one of the pioneering leaders in online mental health. Our host, Gabe Howard, is an award-winning writer and speaker who travels nationally. You can find more information on Gabe at gabehoward.com. Our co-host, Vincent M. Wales, is a trained suicide prevention crisis counsellor and author of several award-winning speculative fiction novels. You can learn more about Vincent at vincentmwales.com. If you have feedback about the show, please email talkback at psychcentral.com.